You are listening to a Victory Alabang podcast. Suffering is an inevitable part of life. Know more about the reality of suffering in our series, Why Me? Listen to this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. Today we're going to talk about Why Me? I am not here to answer this question. When bad things happen to good people, how many of you sometimes feel that though you are a righteous person, you still go through some difficult times? Anybody here who has gone through some a sort of difficulties, trials, sufferings? Please raise your hand if you've been through some, okay? Okay, we belong in the same boat, okay? It's good to know that we have some company as we are going through life with all these things that are happening. And I'm sure that we're familiar with this, you know, you're... You're probably watching the news. You see the Ebola outbreak happening in in Africa. Now it's reached the U.S. shores. Um, You know, we're we're gearing up for that. You know, that's a suffering. You know, know, uh, calamities like hurricanes and typhoons. And uh, we're so familiar with that flooding, uh, famine in some uh, areas of the world. And why is this thing happening to us? And the question really is, you know, even if you are a righteous person or somebody who serves the Lord, why is it that sometimes we still go through life with some suffering? Have you ever wondered about that? You know, we, we, we thought that, you know, I thought when I became a Christian that I'm going to be exempt from all the troubles of life. That when I gave my heart to the Lord, you know, about almost 30 years ago, I thought, you know, it's, it's going to be... A walk in the park is going to be a better life for, for me. But, you know, the reality is, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you know, we are still faced with the same things. Sufferings, troubles, problems. And I'm sure that you can relate with me on that. Maybe some of us are going through life, um, you know, in some situations right now. Maybe some of us are here today and you have a situation that you're carrying in your family. Maybe some, someone is sick with a serious dreaded disease. Maybe that's you personally. Or maybe that's a loved one. Maybe that's a, that's a parent. Or maybe that's a son or a daughter. Maybe that's a sibling. Maybe you're in a situation where you're feeling, uh, you know, you have some marital conflict. Or maybe you have some financial sufferings. Okay, you, you can't find a job. Or maybe you're in between jobs. Or maybe you lost a job. Or maybe you lost your business. Or maybe someone stole from you. So on and so forth. Maybe you're in, uh, in suffering right now emotionally. You know, you're, you know you, you've trusted someone and this person betrayed you. And so on and so forth. And there are so many different situations that I can even you know, uh, enumerate. We're expecting that in this life we will have victory and that's... Who we are, you know, we, we, as a church, we believe in victory, amen. That's our name. And it doesn't mean that if you're going through suffering, that you are defeated. In fact, suffering shouldn't be the summation of our life, amen. It's actually a process, and you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we're going to talk about this for the next three weeks, and this is our serious objective. We will see God's perspective on suffering and its ultimate outcome that we will what? Trust Him more. I mean, the question really is, when we go through pain, when we go through suffering, what is our response? You know, there's a tendency to blame 
you know, different people. We either blame other people because of what we're going through right now, or we blame ourselves, maybe because of our past sins or past mistakes. Or maybe we blame God. You know, I'm this because of you. You know, I, I'm going through this because you allowed this to happen. You know, when Pastor Ferdy, um, he's our uh, senior, former senior pastor of Ortigas, he's now the executive director of our churches in Metro Manila. When he went to Tacloban about a few months ago, you know, right after the typhoon, um, you know, it was a time when they were actually digging up dead bodies. And one of the businessmen in that city, who's not really a member of the church, basically asked him a question. And he said this to Pastor Ferdy. You know, I've cried in my life once when my father died. And I was grieving. And I cried deeply because of the loss of my dad. But when I went and experience what happened in this city. And I see young children being pulled out of debris, dead and lifeless. Innocent babies being, you know, uh, buried without any help. You know, I can't help but cry every single night <clears throat> because of the suffering and the pain that I see my 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 people go through. And I, he's, I think he's from that particular city. And he asked Pastor Ferdy, if God really is a God who is benevolent and good, why is all this evil happening right now in our city? Have you ever asked that question? And I'm not here to really answer it straight from the heart of God. I'm not God. But we're here to deem, you know, to just take a look on, on what God's Word says about how we should look at suffering. In fact, Pastor Ferdy was just stunned because, you know, of course, that man is grieving at that very moment. He did not want to say, you know, I know the answer. I think it's going to be too proud for us to say that we know the answer. Because the reality is there is no formula. We can't know the answer. Who are we to claim that we know the mind of Christ? Amen. For His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He thinks higher than us. He is God. Amen. And we're just merely created beings. But what is good and what is reliable from the Word of God is this. Our God is a faithful God. Our God is a God who, is, who can be trusted. Our God is someone who is actually uh, merciful, compassionate, and shows love towards everything that He has created. And so when you talk about all these evil things that are happening in the world, it's not really because God made it that way, we live in a fallen world. And after Adam and Eve sinned, you know, all these troubles came into this world. All the calamities, the hurricanes, you know, that is really in effect the sin that brought everything that we're experiencing right now. So I just want to mention that, you know, as an introduction to our series, but yet, I believe that it's interesting that we know that the book of Job is one of the best well-written literature, not just in the Bible, but actually known by the world. And how many of you are familiar with the book of Job? How many of you know that the ending is better than the beginning? But we will not talk about that yet, right? We have three weeks. 
So it's kind of like a movie. We're going to talk about the first part today. We're going to talk about the reality of suffering. Next week, we're going to be talking about the reasons why we suffer. And hopefully, the last week, we'll land this series by talking about restoration after suffering. So I'd like to invite everyone to stand. We're going to be reading from the very first chapter, the very first verse of the book of Job. Job chapter 1. We'll just take a look at five verses. It's rather too long to go through everything, but we're going to talk about the chap- first chapter this, uh, today. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. A righteous man. And yet he experienced all these things. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings Uh, according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we, we ask that you would come and give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation. We thank you, Lord God, that even through this story of Job, Lord, may we learn how to respond in the midst of our sufferings. May we also learn how you are as a sovereign, almighty, loving God is moving despite the things that we are going through in this life. Lord, I pray that you would bring about a spirit of encouragement in the hearts of all your people today. We thank you, Lord God, that we will honor you in the way we respond to all this. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. You may all be seated. You know, the book of Job is a rather interesting book. In fact, if you will study it, it is one of the first books, if not the first book written in the Bible. In fact, it was written ahead of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the five books, he wrote it about 1400 before Christ, about the 14th century B.C., But Job was actually one of the patriarchs, and he lived well before Moses. In fact, if you would look at the setting of this uh, particular book and literature, you know, you will find out that he's probably living in the era of the patriarchs, like Abraham. He's probably a little bit ahead of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's considered to be one of the patriarchs. But what's interesting about Job is this. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz, 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 Uzi, 
okay, whose name was Job, and that man was what? He's blameless. He's not only blameless, he's upright. He's somebody who feared God, and he turned away from evil. And what's interesting is, he's a Gentile. In fact, he was not part of the Abrahamic covenant. He was before Abraham and he existed even before the law of Moses. And yet, when you look at his writing, the book of Job, you know, a major part of Job is really poetry. You'll find that in the first two chapters, it's narrative and it talks about history. The last chapter, chapter 42, talks about the final days of the book of Job and how everything was restored. But all everything in between is all about poetry. And you'll find out that he has three friends who talks about or gives him counsel and basically condemns him for what he is going through. But yet there's so much wisdom in the book of Job. In fact, if you look at the book of Job, this could actually well be a foundation of many of the scientific facts that we have today. In fact, I think in Job chapter 25 or 26, it says there that you know the earth is actually hung... Uh, in, 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 or suspended in midair. I mean, how can people during that era or that time know for a fact that the earth is round and it's suspended by a powerful force, who's God himself? Maybe they were assuming that the earth was flat at that time, but that in the book of Job, it talks about that. Did they take a, you know, a spaceship outside and then they took a look back and then did some... Instagram photos, and then they, they saw some pictures of it being a round thing. How did they find that out? It talks about condensation. It talks about you know, the, the, you know, the, the waters going up in the clouds and going down the mountains and so on and so forth. There's just so much wisdom in the book of Job. And yet it's considered to be one of the oldest books that we have in the Bible. Though chronologically, or, or uh, arranged uh, in the Bible, it's actually arranged before the book of Psalms. But chronologically, if you have a chronological Bible, it's actually placed right in the middle of Genesis, after creation, and then right in between there, maybe after the Tower of Babel, there's, there you find the book of Job. So the book of Job is actually very early in its writing. But who is Job? As I said earlier, Job is rich in character. He was, he was somebody who was upright. Somebody who is, you know, if you are going to maybe translate it to our modern application, somebody who attends Victory Alabang 5 p.m. service, faithfully. A man of character. A man who's faithful in serving the church, serving the Lord. Somebody who's giving his, you know, tithes and offerings. Somebody who's got spiritual discipline. You know, it's not saying that Job is sinless. When you talk about him being blameless, it doesn't mean that Job is sinless, by the way. I want to just put that up front. Because how many of you know that all of us is sinful? All of us are sinners. There's only one who is sinless. Amen. His name is Jesus. And yet, God, through the you know, influence of the Holy Spirit, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, whoever is the one who wrote it, some scholars are saying it's Elihu, one of the friends of Job. Some people are saying it's Job himself. Some people are saying it's Moses. Some people are saying it's Solomon. But whoever wrote it, somehow God inspired this writer. 
to take a look at the life of someone who is seemingly perfect during that time. Somebody who's good and yet has experienced all this suffering in his life. Seems like unfair, isn't it? Why is it that this person who's loyal to God and who's, you know, who's, who's got nothing but you know, God in his mind and heart and soul, yet he's, he has to suffer a lot. Job is also a man rich in his family. Can you imagine? Seven sons and three daughters. How many of you have that? Ten children. And yet, doesn't make a dent. He's rich. He's rich in material possessions. He's got all this livestock, all these camels, and all these sheep. And the Bible says he's got a great number of servants. Maybe all his children have one yaya each. Yaya, give me my milk. Yaya, you know. He's someone who's able to not just provide, but basically they're really wealthy. And the Bible says he is one of the greatest men in the East. And yet we see that he is not exempt from all the troubles of life. What about us? Have you ever wondered why sometimes, despite the fact that you have been so faithful in coming to church, in serving the Lord, in obeying His commands, in, you know, in, in reading and in praying and in giving and being generous, and yet we still go through life with sufferings. Have you ever wondered that? How many of you have actually asked some of those questions? Lord, why is it that sometimes life is unfair? Have you ever asked that question? You know, why is it that, Lord, parang pinag-iinitan mo ko? Parang favorite mo ko, Lord. And, you know, we... We actually have this mindset that I thought as a Christian we're supposed to be blessed. Yes, we're part of the covenant of Jesus. I mean, with covenant with God. And yet, why is it that we go through life with pain and sorrows and sufferings? And then we look at some people who are not even believers and they're blessed and they're prosperous. And they don't know God and they even hate God. Do you know people like that? And maybe our question is, Lord, why? Why is life so unfair? Here we are, we're serving you, and I'm waiting for my waiting for my breakthrough. And my breakthrough has not come yet. Whereas this guy, my neighbor, who I know is very corrupt. Has got seven cars, five houses, you know, five maids' room with aircon. You know, it's. Why is life so unfair? And I can hardly meet my bills. Have you ever wondered why that is? And sometimes the divine justice is put on trial. You call this theodicy. Theodicy, theodicy comes from two words. Theos means God and dicey means, you know, the, late, the Greek goddess of justice. 
you know, that picture of the lady justice with a scale and a blindfolded girl and, you know, what's that, a sword? And, you know, this is really in question. Lord, why is it that sometimes your justice is out of whack? You know, I can't understand it. There are three realities in life that we need to understand. Number one is there is a reality of a spiritual enemy. And we know who our enemy is, right? Who's our enemy? Okay, look at the person beside you. That's not your enemy. Okay, just reminding you, that's not your enemy. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of this air. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a spiritual reality that we have an enemy. Job 1, 6-8 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, or angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along uh, among them. So Satan joined the staff meeting in heaven one day. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come from? Satan answered to the Lord and said, from going to and fro festival mall, 5 p.m. service, and going from up and down the elevator, escalator, looking for people who are late, or something like that. No, just, just kidding, just kidding. By the way, we want to greet all the people in our overflow room. You are as much a part of this group. We love you there. We hope you're not suffering there, okay? And I'm hoping that the aircon is still cold there. But Satan was giving a report to the Lord. I'm just going around looking for someone to bug, looking for someone to devour. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Can you imagine? God was bragging about Job with Satan. And he's telling Satan, it's one of a kind. My son, that's her, my, my son Job, he's one of a kind. How many of you would like to be you know, bragged about by God in heaven? Please, come on. I mean, that's, that's one statement. I mean, if God notices you and brags about you, wow, can you imagine? Have you considered my servant Panzer? Or have you considered my servant John? Or have you considered my servant Ray? Or have you considered my servant, you know, uh, Sonny? Okay? Or my servant Jonathan? In fact, what God is doing is not just bragging about his son, but he was actually picking a fight with Satan. Meron ka ba nito? That's the reality of a spiritual enemy. He was just, not that God is setting Job up for a disaster, but he had so much faith in his man that no matter what happens in his life, Job will be loyal to him till the very end. Can God say that same word about us? Have you considered my servant Ariel? Have you considered my servant Jenny? Have you considered my servant Monette? Have you considered my... I can just run through the list and nominate all of you before the Lord 
to be Satan's hit list. No, 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 just kidding. Okay? <laughs> but in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a what? A roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And that's the reality of our enemy. He's waiting for an opportune time to pounce on you. That's why we have to be watch, watchful. We've got to be ready. Got to be sober-minded. Lest we put our guards down and the enemy will attack. John 10.10 10. Familiar with this verse. The thief comes only to what? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And this is Jesus. He came here on this earth to give us life and life to the full. The strategy of Satan is simple. He is attacking. He's an accuser of the brethren. And he attacked Job by accusing Job's hypocrisy, basically. He was saying to the Lord in verse 9, then the Lord, and then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Because, you know, God was bragging about Job. And so Job said, Eh, kaya ka lang naman kiloyal sa'yo yan kasi binibless mo eh. The reason why your son Job is loyal to you is because you're blessing him. Because you've given him favor. You're, you're increasing his, you know, his family. You're increasing his livestock. You've blessed him so much more than the other people around him. That's why he's loyal to you. Try removing those. He's accusing Job that he doesn't really have the character to prove it. And the only uh, reason why he's doing that, he's faithful to the Lord, is because of what he can get from the Lord. In chapter 2, we know the story. In chapter 1, he lost everything just in a day. You know, he lost his livestock, he lost his children. And, not, of course, not himself, but in chapter 2, and then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, second time, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Because in the first chapter, Job responded right. Though, you know, everything was taken away from him, he basically said to the Lord, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in chapter 2, another meeting. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Verse 4, Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin. Meaning to say, let me now touch his body's health. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh. And he will curse you to your face. You know, all the things that you allow me to take is nothing. Yeah, you allow me to take all his livestock. Yeah, he can gain it back. His children, yeah, that's painful, but it's, it's not yet his life. But let me just touch his life. And then he will curse you to your face. Go to the second part. Third, second reality is the reality of testing or suffering. First reality is what? We have a spiritual enemy. Second reality is 
reality of testing and suffering. And the Lord responded to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. Somehow, God allowed the testing to happen. And God allowed Satan to go ahead and, you know, try to, to, to touch and to test Job. And I believe that testing can be one of the most difficult situations that we face in life. Now, how many of you, when you were like in elementary and high school, you love taking tests? Anybody here who's excited when the teacher would announce, okay, tomorrow, class, we have a long test. How many of you would actually, woohoo, yes, I love it, you know, I'm waiting for this test. How many of you, how many of you, were, 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 anybody here? Anybody here who's, uh, who's abnormal? No, 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 it's not normal for you to like the test. We don't like taking tests, right? But why is it that you want to be promoted? And why is it that you want to graduate? We can't go to the next level of life unless you go through some tests. We know that you can't be in grade 2 if you don't take the test in grade 1. And you have to pass the test. Because if you don't pass the test, what will happen? You take summer lessons or classes. You take remedial classes or you do it all over again. Right? And I hope that when we go through some testings in life, that we will just take one time. And then we move forward. You know, the bigger the test, the bigger the promotion there is. Amen. And how many of you are ready for a big promotion? Yes. Get ready for the big test. (laughs) You know, the devil tempts us to bring out the worst in us. But God tests us to bring out the best in us. The reason why God allows testing to happen is not to destroy us. It's not to judge us. It's not to condemn us and crush us. It's so that He can set up a situation to really reveal what's inside our hearts and to elevate us to greater heights. In fact, even the wife of Job already said something about him and this wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. I don't know if Job prayed, Sana Lord, ito kinuha mo na rin to. You know, you got everything. You should have gotten my wife as well. But he encouraged his wife. And you know, I'm not here to bash the wife of Job. But I'm just trying to understand what she went through as a mother of ten children who came out of her womb, who raised them up with care and love. And in one day, Lost everything. Can you imagine the pain that that wife or that mother have gone through? That's why she probably responded like this. And we're not here to condemn the wife, but also to understand what she is going through. But yet Job, in response, he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. 
My last point is this. Three realities in life. Third reality is the reality of God's protection and sovereignty. You know, we all know that suffering is not going to be the end of our life. I hope you are convinced with that. And if you actually you go through this life, through suffering, I mean, I, I've seen people suffer in the area of sickness and disease. I've seen people lose the battle to cancer. I've seen people lose the battle to leukemia. Maybe you're, answer, you're asking, where is God's protection there? Where is God's sovereignty there? You know, like my son who died because of a sickness. You know, where is God when I needed him to protect my son? And yet the reality is we received the miracle that we've been praying for. You see, now he's no longer sick. He's actually in heaven with the Father. And you have a better perspective in life. Job 1.10-12 says, Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? A hedge here means a fence. You know, I believe that God puts a hedge of protection around us. Amen. And he will not allow Satan or demonic spirits to touch us unless he allows it for a purpose. He's not a cruel game master who will one day, hmm, let's remove the hedge. Okay, attack. He's not like that. And I think our, our God is a God who is a sadist. But He is a God of mercy, a God of compassion. You have blessed the work of His hands and His possessions and have increased the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all He has and He will curse you to your face. And this is Satan inciting God. But He is acknowledging that God has put a hedge around Job. And I believe God has put a hedge around us, his children. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. There is a limit to what God gives Satan to advance against us. I believe that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But he will actually allow us a certain point of us being broken, but at the same time being restored in his love, in his healing hand. That's the God we serve. What's interesting is, this, you know, with all these things that Job has gone through, what was Job's response? And it's interesting that different people going through different situations have different kinds of responses. But here, it's just so hard for us to put our place in the shoes of Job because in reality, who among us have had such an experience in a day? I mean, have you ever lost everything in a single day? Lost your, 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 your children, lost your business, lost everything except the wife who complained in a sick body. I mean, can we, can we really compare ourselves with Job? I guess not. But this is how Job responded. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, 
and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. And may we not be found with sin in our lips every time we go through life's difficult crisis. Amen. How many of you know that God still deserves to be praised and to be honored despite the fact that we're going through these things in life? Amen. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. He didn't blame God. Ikaw kasi! But yet we will find out that later on as his friends were starting to condemn him instead of you know, building him up, they started accusing him. Eh, the reason why you're suffering is because of sin. We're going to talk about that next week. And some, sometimes we ask this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? And maybe you're that good person. And you're going through some things right now. Or the opposite is also true. Why do good things happen to bad people? I mean, have you ever asked the Lord before you, before you became a Christian, Lord, bakit mo ako bless? I am bad. Did you ever ask God? You know? Before we were Christians, were blessed, we didn't even ask the Lord, why are you blessing me? I don't deserve this. We just received it. We may have those two questions, but I believe the real question that we need to ask or that God wants to ask right now, is, can God find a man or a woman who would love him just for who he is? And not because of what they can get from him. I mean, this, in essence, is real love. We love God not because of what he can give to us, but we love God because of his very nature of a loving father, and the gifts and the benevolence and the generosity is only an outcome of our relationship with the Lord. Amen. That is not the first thing that we're looking for. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto us. Let the things follow us as we seek first God. Amen. And I hope that God can find in this church men and women who will love God just because of who God is and not because of what He can give. You know, I believe that he can, if He can find these people and you know, you know the ending of the book of Job, He got double for His trouble. Twice as much. Twice the number of cattle, twice the number of children, Twice the number of wife. No, no, only one wife, okay? <laughs> only one wife. No, but beautiful children. Not twice the number, but beautiful children. Tim Keller said this, You don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Amen. And sometimes God will strip us to the bare minimum wherein the only thing we have is God Himself. It's Jesus all the way. And how many of you know that if we have Jesus, that's everything we need? 
Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen. I mean, that's the reality of life. You have Jesus, you have everything else. James chapter 1, verse 12, in the ESV version says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I also like the, the message version. Anyone who meets a testing challenge head-on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons loyally in love with God, the reward is what? Life and more life. That's why if you're going through some suffering and pain, just be steadfast. Hang in there. Because God's deliverance is at hand. That's why when you go back to the question, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe the question is really when bad things happen to good people. It's not about why, it's when. Because it will happen. John 16.33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's why I believe that the psalmist said this, you know, uh, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Psalm 121. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Maybe what we need to ask ourselves is not why, it's who. Who do we cry out to when bad things happen to good people? And that's God himself. Amen. The maker of heaven and earth, he is our shield, our rampart, our strong tower. The righteous run to him, and they are safe. A.W. Tozer said this. He is a Christian author. God cannot use a man greatly until he has broken him deeply. Are you ready to be used by God greatly? <laughs> then we must be ready to be broken deeply. As I end, I want to ask the music team to, him, uh, to join me here on stage. main point I want to share is we look to Jesus and find hope as we go through life's uh, sufferings. He is the only one that we look to for our hope. Amen. Our encouragement really is that Jesus himself has gone through suffering. And he's the only one who can claim to be sinless and had undeserved suffering. None of us can say we don't deserve our suffering because sin brings death. And we were all sinners. We were all recipients of the grace of God by the power of the cross. It's all because of grace. Jesus had to pay a price. He suffered much so that you and I may have life. And as I end, I want to read this quote from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. Everybody say endurance. The race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, as you're running this race of life, as you're having some sufferings and enduring to the very end, what do we do? Look to Christ. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter or the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy 
was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I believe the reason why Jesus endured the cross was because of the joy that he has seen behind that cross. And do you know what joy that is? That is the joy of seeing your face, being saved, being part of the spiritual family, having eternal life. Amen. And what Jesus is saying, it's, it's all worth the pain. It's all worth the suffering because I have for myself a people, sons and daughters, that will forever be with me for eternity. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We hope you were inspired by that message. To listen to more podcasts, download the Victory Alabang app. Thank you and stay connected.